Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. We are in week five. Everybody say week five. five. It's funny that the whole first word of that was week. Come on, that was week. Week five. Good. Of a series that Pastor Brandon has just called Unstuck. And here's what I love the most about Brandon. In every series, it seems like we get a new word. So the new word for this series is stuckness. I looked back. I got a Facebook memory from like a year ago, maybe two years ago. And I think I posted something on Facebook about thanking Brandon for the word enoughness. He has a thing with nisses. So we have this thing about being stuck. And the truth of the matter is that nobody likes to be stuck. We've all been there. We've all, maybe you're, right, maybe you're, there, you're there right now, right this morning. You're stuck in some area of your life. It's frustrating. It's constricting. It's, it's just painful sometimes. And there's these times in our life when life blindsides us and takes us out, right? Y'all been there before? Like you didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on you. That kind of deal, right? Like, it wasn't your fault. Something just happened. And then there are those places where we had an awful lot to do with whatever area we're stuck in. And there's there's the conundrum. There's that place where we can begin to feel shame and we can begin to self-condemn. And the very thing that should point us and push us towards God sometimes keeps us at a distance from him. Why? Because we're like, "Ah, I'm just, I did this to myself. Lord, let me dig myself out of this hole. And I'm still convinced that God's forehead, when we meet him, will be sloped gently because of all of the smacking of the head. He's like, come on. It's not the way he designed it. But it is our natural inclination, isn't it? Um, But when we know that God loves us, when we know that God loves us, it helps us to go to him when we're stuck. Look at Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. And this is the verse that Pastor Brandon has talked about every week, and we'll talk about every week through this series. If you're new here... Don't be alarmed. Uh, We didn't forget. But this is something that's going to be our launching pad for every week in this series. And this is a, it's an astounding statement in the book of Hebrews. It's earth-shaking, this thing, that says, well, let's just read it. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. I want to stop right there. In Jesus' day... A high priest did not empathize with your weakness. A high priest pointed out your weakness, highlighted it, circled it, charged you a fee for it, right? Attached some sort of punishment. He never would in the world would empathize with you because that would, it it just wouldn't be his deal. So we, we have one, and the one is Christ, who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So the best part of all now, because of this, Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Think about this for a second. We have a high priest. His name is Jesus. He empathizes with our weakness. Why? Because he was tempted in every single way we've ever been or ever will be tempted, yet did not sin. He navigated through that thing, showed us how to do it. He like skied the perfect slalom, right? And then we're like, there you go. Right, So he did that thing. And now, because of what he has done, not because of our ability, not because of our worthiness, not because of something we've done and our specialness. Hey, I made up a word. 
Not because of that. We can now approach his throne with confidence. Can you imagine the people in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, ever saying, yeah, come forward with confidence. You can approach the throne of God confidently. No, you better approach fearfully. You better approach hoping you did everything right, right? That's the story. Our story's been completely rewritten in Christ. We can approach with confidence. Why? Because we know he empathizes. We know that he loves us. And we know that we'll find mercy and grace. If that's not good news this morning, I don't know what is. That, 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 that's for somebody this morning. You need to just breathe a little easier today. Why? Because he loves you. Amen. All right. So the facet of stuckness that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, it was funny because Daniel. Uh, didn't Daniel do a good job this morning, by the way? And I love having people who can step in and do stuff better than I can. It's great, man. Daniel, you're the man. Um, but you can't do that for a while if people want to replace me. And... Good job. But I, <laughs> Daniel had texted me. He's like, what are you going to preach on this week? I said, uh, forgiveness. He's like, oh, man, I'll bring my steel toe boots because you're going to walk. Listen, when, I, when we talk about something like forgiveness, everybody's toes are going to get stepped on. I'll step on mine more than anybody else's. But it is something that we have to talk about. Why? Because we're alive in a world full of messed up people who hurt us. And if we don't figure out a way to grapple with this concept of forgiveness, it's going to do us in. It's just going to. So we're going to talk about this facet of stuckness. And I love that in this instance, I think it meets at the crossroads of my guilt and somebody else's. Does that make sense? Like, like, like you might have offended me, but I have a choice to be offended. You might have hurt me, and that's on you, but I have a choice in how I respond and how I deal with that, okay? So one thing I want to say before I say anything else is I'm not making any statements about your hurt. I'm not judging it. I'm not criticizing it. I'm not belittling it. I'm not going to categorize it from less to everybody's hurt is their own, and you know how severe whatever it is you're dealing with is, and it's not my place to go, well, it's not as bad as that. That's not the point. The point is God cares about you. And if it's a small thing, guess what? He cares about the small thing. If it's a big thing, he certainly cares about the big thing. But this stuckness thing gets into our, gets into our DNA sometimes, and we just get so hurt, we can't even hardly move on. Let me tell you a quick story. When Kim and I were, were uh, first married, a couple, maybe three years into our marriage, uh, many of you guys don't know this, I was in the military, because I know I look like such a military guy now. <laughs> Twelve years in the United States Air Force is what I served Whew, my sentence was over in 2006, and I got out, but in 2000, no, not even 2000, gosh, this would have been like 1995 or 96, maybe, 95 probably, we got stationed at Fort Meade, Maryland, now I'm a West Coast guy, been transported to the East Coast in late September of 95, when I finished school here at Goodfellow, and then swore I would never come back, <laughs> how's that working, not well, okay, so we're in, we're on the East Coast, and around November, I'm guessing because Elena was little, um, so I only had, we had two kids. We had Emily, who was about two, and, and Elena, who had just been born, I believe, and we're stationed at Fort Meade. If you don't know where Fort Meade is, it's kind of halfway between Baltimore and Washington, D.C., okay? And we get news reports of what they call a nor'easter. I don't even know what that is. All I know is it means I'm not going to work for a few days, Right? Because it dumped snow like I've never seen before in my entire life. Again, West Coast guy, the only snow I've ever seen was when we went to occasionally go ski and we'd see it already falling. So this snow fell, and it fell. And it fell at the rate of like a couple inches an hour. 
It just kept going. And I'm sitting inside my little apartment that I have, and, and Kim and I are just, man, we're loving it. This is great. I don't have to go to work today. We got the TV on. We got the hot cocoa making. The, the girls are playing, and we're just, man, we're just chilling. And there's a window right behind the couch, and I keep looking out the window, and every once in a while, I see some knucklehead go outside with a snow shovel and begin to shovel his walkway. And then he goes back inside. I'm like, you knucklehead. It's still snowing. What are you doing? Just go, whatever. I, I sat there, and I set my, my cocoa, and I laughed. <laughs> Silly people. A couple hours go by. There they go out again. Shovel, shovel, shovel. This went on, you know, for the whole snowstorm. When it was done, I went to go outside my front door, and thank goodness it opened in because there was a wall of snow, almost to the, like two-thirds of the way through the door. It went, and went, sweet, and I shut the door and went back inside. <laughs> but who knows, at some point you got to leave the house, right? At some point you got to go. And so we dug ourselves out from that, you know, and I start the arduous task of shoveling my walk. Have you ever shoveled snow that's four feet deep? Holy mackerel. I used to joke about people who had, you know, well, you'd hear a story about somebody having a heart attack while they're shoveling their, shoveling their walkway, and you go, now I know. I was in fear for my life. I thought I was going to die. I got two feet outside my door, and I've shoveled like four metric tons of snow. <laughs> and I finally make it around the corner to see the other neighbors have these perfectly manicured walkways. And it dawned on me. I went, oh. Oh, I, uh, okay, I see what they did here. And here's the funny part, is now they're sitting on the front steps with their cocoa. <laughs> and they're doing this number, and, I'm go and they're going, look at that idiot. Like, like, didn't he know you should probably come out and periodically shovel the walk so it doesn't accumulate four feet of snow? They didn't. Why didn't they come over and knock on my door? I had California license plates on my car. They knew. Were they, did they think they were going to teach me some lesson? I don't know, man. It hurts so bad. I finally got through. I finally got through. It took me all day. And it never looked as nice as theirs. Ever, ever, ever. And there was like two inches of solid ice beneath. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, here's the point. When it comes to this thing we call forgiveness, if we let it build, and if we let it build, and if we let it build, and if we're not dealing with this thing on a regular basis, the day is going to come when we're out there with a snow shovel, and we're, start, and we're trying to dig ourselves out from mountains and mountains of hurt and pain and frustration. Does that make sense? Man, we've got to get into this practice of as soon as we're offended, we forgive. Offended, we forgive. Yeah, I was going to throw this in later, but I think this goes, this goes now. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a philosopher who talks about this perfect gift, and this is awesome. He says, what's the perfect gift? He says, when you give a gift and you receive the thanks from a person, you've had a transaction, right? So I give Daniel a guitar. Daniel says, that's amazing. He feels good. I feel good. He says, that's not really a perfect gift. He goes, well, what's the next level of gift? He goes, what if you gave it anonymously? What if you just, like, drop the guitar on Daniel's doorstep, and Daniel wakes up one day and goes, ha, huh, new guitar. I still have this feeling that I've gotten, man, I feel good about myself. I can pat myself on the back, and I go, at some point, I'll let him know I gave it to him. But it's an anonymous gift. He goes, yeah, that's better, but it's still not quite there. He says, the best gift you can ever give, the most pure, the most graceful gift you would ever give is a gift that you didn't know you gave and the person didn't know you gave it. And he's like, what in the world is that? And I'm, 
I don't know what that is. He goes, it's forgiveness. What does that look like? It looks like getting to a place where our reflex is to forgive. So much so we don't even think about it. So much so we don't feel the need to announce it. So much so that the person we've forgiven may not even know they've offended us. And there's just been this non-transactional, I'm not going to hold this against you. It's not a big deal to me. And I believe that this is the way that Jesus lived his life. I just think it was a natural reaction of a life lived in tune with God. It's one that says, "Eh, I let it go. I let it slide. See, the deal is this, is that unforgiveness... And this is our first note, if you're taking notes in your U version or if you're taking notes in, on the paper. Unforgiveness is a burden you just weren't intended to carry. Look at what, what Jesus says in, in the book of Matthew in chapter 11, 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's in the way of Jesus is a way of continual forgiveness. He's called us into a life where we just naturally forgive. It's, and why can we say that that's a, how can he say that that's an easy yoke and an easy burden? It's because it doesn't allow that stuff to build up on you. It doesn't allow it to accumulate against you. It doesn't allow you to walk around feeling like the weight of the world's on your shoulder because you have accumulated offense after offense after offense after offense. And if you are like me and you're human, right, how long will it be before the end of the day before somebody ticks you off? You might not even get out of the parking lot. To one of these people that you love and just fellowshiped with cuts you off or takes your parking spot or maybe gets into Outback before you do. You're going to have an opportunity within the next 45 minutes to forgive somebody. And if we don't develop a habit of just living a life of forgiveness, man, we will just be buried in it. It will just kill us. I promise you. Having lived there and been there, I promise you it's not good. So this forgiveness is a burden that Jesus has called you to unload. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Whew, come on, all you who are heavy, all you who are weary, all you who are tired. Jesus says, I won't put anything ill-fitting on you in the way the message reads. Right? He's not going to fit something on you that's not the way you were designed to function. So if he's asking you to be this forgiving, it must be because you were designed to function that way. And when we don't, man, everything gets out of joint and out of kilter. Amen? All right, so the second thing I want to tell you is this, is that unforgiveness creates distance between us, and it keeps us and prevents us from enjoying life. My favorite parable that Jesus ever told, and I've, I've talked about this parable every chance I get, because there's just so much depth to it, but the parable of the prodigal son is probably the most, I think it's the most beautiful story maybe ever told. It's awesome. Right? And every time I look at it, I turn the diamond that is this story and go, ooh, I never saw that before. Oh, that's interesting. And a while back, I started thinking, you know, what if this story really isn't about the wayward son at all? What if it's, okay, it's, it's about him. But what if the story for some of us is more about the older brother? What if the story is really about his response? Because here's the, here's the spoiler alert to the story. The, the younger brother takes all his stuff, right? Goes off and squanders it and lives this wild life. The story ends with him restored. That's beautiful. There's resolution. 
He comes home. Dad welcomes him in. All is forgiven. Everything's good. There's restoration, and there is resolve to the story. But we have this older brother who stays outside of the party. Let's look at what, what, what he says in Luke 15, 28 through 30. So he, right, this is the older brother, he became angry and refused to go in. Now, mind you, there's a party being thrown. The fatted calf has been killed, and all us West Texans, wow, come on, man, that's a whole cow. We're going to have a barbecue. There's a whole cow being killed. This is, this is a party that would have that involved the community because you don't eat a whole cow by yourself, right? So this was a party. There's a party and a party. This was a party. This was going, there was dancing, there was all kinds of revelry, and there's this fuming older brother outside like this. He refuses to go in. The father, being the good father that he is, goes out, says his father came out and began to plead with him. He said, he answered his father, he says, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate. Did something happen to my mic? No, okay. But when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. So I want you to see that the, the way the story builds at the end is, is this son has a problem with dad that's been going on for years. There's a resentment that is built up. He's like, I've slaved for you. First of all, no, he hasn't. He's been a son living in the house, eating the good food. You haven't slaved for anybody. But you see how it starts to distort your perception, right? See how it starts to worm its way in there? He says, I've slaved for you, and you've never given me so much as a goat, let alone a whole cow. And this knucklehead jerk of a son of yours goes off and, and squanders all your wealth with wild living, dishonors your name, and you did this for him. I want you to see the distance that's been created because of the unforgiveness in the son's heart, not just unforgiveness towards the father, but unforgiveness towards his brother, unforgiveness about his circumstances, unforgiveness about the community that would come and welcome this son back. And he just fumes outside the party. And we don't get any resolution to the story. It is this great question mark at the end of this beautiful story. The father goes inside, and do, does the son ever go in? I don't know. But I want you to see that it's the dutiful it's, the, it's the, the proud, it's the self-righteous older brother who's not sure where he stands. And it's the wayward prodigal who knows exactly where he belongs. Yeah. It's the wayward prodigal who finds his way home and says, listen, I, I, I'll do anything, just let me come home. And the father says, you were always son. There was never a time, right? Oh, come on, this is beautiful. If we don't let ourselves deal with, if we don't allow Christ to deal with the unforgiveness issues and the offenses that we endure, man, we're putting distance between us and pretty much everything else. And over time, it just begins to weigh us down. And over time, it just begins to eat us up from the inside out. I know you guys all know people like this, but I've known people who just, man, they're the most bitter people in the world. They're just hurt. They don't even quite know how to function except that they're hurt. And we want to be a people that are always moving forward. You can't move forward with that kind of weight and that kind of baggage. Amen? So look at this. Our next point is this. Our deepest wounds are rooted in betrayal. How many of you guys have been betrayed before? That hurts so much. 
It hurts so much. I mean, it's one thing for a guy to cut you off in traffic. It's, it's one thing for someone to say something mean to you. It's, it's, so, it's a whole other thing for them to literally betray you. And we have a high priest who sympathizes with betrayal. Right? Don't we? Look at this. We have an example. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Now, now listen, we think Judas, and we automatically think, oh, he's that guy. But before this happened, he wasn't that guy. He was one of the 12. He hung out and, 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 and ate and drank and traveled and preached and listened to Jesus. He was one of them. And all of a sudden, he's the guy going and betraying Jesus to have him crucified. Whew. That's a betrayal, right? It's a betrayal of your trust. It's a betrayal of everything you held dear. And the second, I mean, Jesus was betrayed by Peter. If you want the... Uh, I think the scriptures are in your notes, but Luke 22, 50 through, 54 through 62. We all know the story of Peter denying Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if you walked up to my wife and she said, hey, that, that guy's a pretty cool dude. And she's like, I, who, who's, who that? I don't know him. And she got mad and like, walked away. Like, I've never even heard of that guy before. I'd be betrayed, man. It's, okay, it's funny here. It wasn't quite so funny when Peter did it because really Peter did it just to save his own skin. And there was a moment of decision for Peter where he was either going to be with Christ or not, and he made the wrong choice. He denied. He denied. Now, he would make up for that later, right? But he was denied by another close friend. And Jesus finally, my last point is he was crucified by his community. Think about that for a second. The people responsible for nailing Jesus to a tree, for causing suffering, for torturing him, for all the things they did to him, was not the Romans' I mean, they ultimately did it, but they did it at the behest of his community. It was the people who, you know, a few days before had welcomed him into Jerusalem, had praised him as the king of the Jews, had laid palm fronds down as he rode into the, to the city, triumphantly entering. And all of a sudden, a few days later, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. We'd rather have him than this guy. That's a deep betrayal. And yet Jesus, man. We'll get to his response in a minute, but I, I bet you can guess how he responds to this kind of betrayal. But this is what we wrestle with the most, I think. We wrestle with the hurts that get way down deep inside us. It's the people closest to us who can hurt us the most. It's one thing for someone to lie about you, because guess what? Liars lie, right? Haters going to hate. Liars going to lie. I don't really even get that mad about the guy who lies. You know what really ticks me off? It's the people who should have known better who believe the lies. Oh. Man, that'll take the wind right out of your sails. That's a kick in the gut. Yeah the, yeah, the liar lied. I get that. Said I was whatever. Said X, Y, and Z. You know what really stinks? Is the guy next to him who went, yeah, I know that guy. That's true. And I'm like, well, it's happened, right? It's one thing to, it's, it's one thing to slough off a minor offense. But these, some of these things, they get deep down in the cracks and the crevices of our hearts. And sometimes, man, all, sometimes nothing. They always <laughs> will require the power of the Holy Spirit to extricate, amen? I mean, that's always going to be something we've got to lean into Jesus for. So, all right, last few points. Here we go. Uh, we get stuck. Why did we get stuck? Because here's the deal. I think we all know this. I don't think I'm telling you guys anything you haven't heard or anything you don't know, and I don't think there's anyone in this room who would argue the point that we are supposed to forgive people. I think it's a given, right? We're supposed to forgive. I get it. I get it. I get it here. But there is a distance between here and here. That sometimes is like insurmountable, right? 
Like this is, this is like Mount Everest over here, and I've, I've not quite made it up to Mount McKinley yet, but I'm, you know what I'm saying? Okay, I made that up, but anyway. The point is this. There's one thing to understand it. There's another thing to live it out, and there is a huge gulf in between those things, and one of the ways we get stuck is, number one, we are waiting for an apology. So let me get this straight. Somebody hurt you. Somebody did you wrong. And now you are going to give that person the power to keep you stuck because they're not going to say they're sorry. And I'm sorry if I stepped on your toes. I stepped on my own. But don't let somebody hold you hostage over your forgiveness thinking they owe you something to get it. It can't be that way. Listen, this is not about a relationship necessarily. Forgiveness is you. This is your deal. This is you relinquishing your rights to hold something over somebody. It's you deciding it's not worth it. It's not nothing to do with them apologizing. Now, if they do, great. Now, I'll tell you, someone apologizes to you and you stand there with your arms crossed, be like, well, then I guess we know who the problem's with. But I, listen, you can't sit in your anger and your resentment and all this stuff and go, man, if they would, you know what, fine. Listen, if they'll come to me and they'll say they're sorry, then we'll, then we'll talk. Then, then, then we can deal with this stuff. Number one, it may never happen. There are people, I promise you right now, who have hurt you deeply, who are probably blissfully unaware that you've been hurt and waiting around for them to get some divine download that they got to come talk to you. Is, I, I think it's a fool's errand. I think we proactively say, listen, regardless of the outcome of this, I'm going to go ahead and forgive this person. I'm going to do it. I have to. Why? Because I have to move on. And I can't stay stuck here fuming and thinking and imagining all this stuff that's going on. And the second, second reason that we get stuck is we conflate forgiveness with reconciliation. We decide those two are the same thing. Can I tell you they're not? There can be forgiveness and not be reconciliation. There can be, but there can't be reconciliation without forgiveness. You can't have it both. So you can have one without the other, but you can't have this one without that one. Does that make sense, everybody? Listen, you can be forgiving towards somebody and still have toxic people not in your life. And that's fine. Matter of fact, please do. Right? This is not an invitation for you to become someone's punching bag or doormat. That's not the deal. So listen, I think the heart of God for every relationship is reconciliation and restoration. I believe that God wants that with all his heart. But guess what? It takes two to tango. You cannot maintain a relationship all by yourself. And, and if that person is not willing to take the steps to reconcile, then I'm not going to be stuck there either. Does that make sense, everybody? Listen, Paul says it like this. He says um, in Romans 12, 18, and this is not going to be on the screen, but it says, if it's possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What's the implication? It might not always be possible. There are some people who are just not going to reconcile. But I'm not going to be unforgiving toward them just because there might not be very much hope of a reconciliation. I'm going to still forgive. But I'm going to understand that those aren't the same thing, that I can forgive without reconciliation. But I can't reconcile without forgiveness. So one's got to start the, the, the dominoes falling. Amen? third thing is this, is that we think forgiveness excuses bad or hurtful behavior. No, it doesn't. No, 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 no. If somebody hurted you, I said hurted, 
That's good, by the way. Things were getting too heavy. It was time to say herded. If somebody has herded you, where was I? And you forgive them, it's not the same thing as saying, eh, no biggie. No, yes, biggie. I'm not, I'm not going to concede that that thing wasn't a big deal. I'm not going <laughs> to. He's still chuckling about herded. <laughs> but in our heads, if we start thinking that, man, if I forgive this person, then it's the same as me saying it, it wasn't a big deal. No, that's not saying, no, at all. Not a, no, 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 no. We can recognize the hurt. We can deal with the pain. We can deal with the wrongness of it without relinquishing our ability to forgive in that moment. My forgiving you of hurting me does not mean please do it again. Right? Thank you, sir. May I have another? No. And it doesn't mean that it wasn't a big deal. We may have to talk about it. Amen? We may have to deal with it. You know, my wife and I have been married almost 27 years. We have hurt each other. I'm sorry. 27 years of marriage. Three years of dating before that. 30 years, baby. You're a patient woman. We've hurt each other, sometimes really badly. If we hadn't decided to forgive each other, we'd be done. We'd have been done a long time ago. But if I hurt her and then I just go say sorry, she's not, like, she's not going to be like, ah, it's okay, no biggie. Now, we're going to talk about this, right? We're going to discuss and make sure it doesn't happen again. You're going to know why it hurt me. And that's part of that reconciliation process is knowing how we don't do this to each other again, how we don't keep biting and devouring one another when we should be living a life of forgiveness. Amen? All right. Third thing, fourth thing I think is we're at, uh, we don't, or sometimes we allow past hurts to affect our current relationships. How many of you guys know people who have been burned in the past by some friendship or maybe they were married or dated somebody and man, I'm just never going to go through that again. Put a wall up, put a shield up, put, put a, dig a moat around that thing, you know, put up some anti-artillery, air, anti-aircraft artillery, whatever. It's like, oh, never, whatever I do in my life, I'm just not going to feel that way again. It's a dangerous place to be, right? It's a dangerous place to be when we close ourselves off to future relationships because we've been burned in the past. The fact of the matter is, if you're living and breathing on planet Earth, you're going to be hurt. It's just going to happen. You're either going to not have any relationships at all or you're going to be vulnerable to being hurt and wounded. And so we either have to decide to close ourselves off completely or we have to learn to, to navigate this thing called forgiveness well. Amen? The last thing is this, and this will step on the toes for sure. We don't trust God with the outcome. The fact of the matter is when we hold on to stuff and we hold on to our notions of how it should work out and the price that they should pay for hurting us and all the things. And when, we, when we maintain control of that, what we're really saying is, God, I just don't trust this person to your care. And I want to be the kind of person who says, listen, I trust God with the outcome of this situation. I forgive here without any expectation that it's necessarily going to fix anything, but I forgive because I know that on the other side of that is his blessing. Amen? All right. So we're going to quickly go through, I think, uh, three things, four things, quickly, about how we're going to get unstuck. All right? So we're going to get unstuck. Number one, we're going to pray and pray and pray, and then we're going to pray some more. If we don't invite God into this problem, we are trying to do stuff on our own, and it is destined. It is doomed to fail. When Jesus hung on the cross, Luke 22, verse 23, the first part of that verse, Jesus is hanging on the cross in clear view of the people who've nailed him to a cross. They've done it. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
This is his prayer to the people as they're still gathered around gambling for his clothes. They've decided, he, Jesus decides, I go to prayer in this thing. And I pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Second thing is this, stop reliving the hurt. I read a book by a friend named Mark Riggins. If you haven't read it, it's awesome. I stole some of this material from him, so make sure and let him know it's called Stuck. It's actually pretty awesome. It's about forgiveness. Um, and one of the things he asks in this book is like, is, listen, to your, how often do you tell your story? How often do you gather with your friends and relive the hurt? How often do you talk about it? Who do you talk about it with? And if it's dominating your thoughts, man, you need to get off that narrative at some point. You just need to stop talking about it. I don't mean that you shouldn't talk about it with anybody, but I mean if it gets to a place where every time you get with these people, all you do is talk about that thing that happened, it's the, it's the dominant narrative of your life. We've got to stop reliving it. We've got to stop dealing with it. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5 is the love chapter. It tells us all about love. And guess what? God and love are synonymous, right? Because God is love. But look at this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. does not boast. It's not proud. does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And look at that. keeps no records of wrongs. When we refuse to forgive, we're keeping a record. We're keeping a tally. All right. That's one more for you, right? We get to 17, punch that card one more time, you get a free six-inch sub, and maybe you smack upside your head. Right? That would be cool, right? We should work on that. But listen, we've got we to gotta stop, stop thinking about it. We've got to stop imagining. There was times when I was so hurt and so frustrated. with I would literally daydream about something happening to this person. I don't mean like bad stuff, but I mean like, hey, maybe, uh, you know, maybe they get a speeding ticket today. Woohoo! That would be cool. Jerk. That's not right, right? That's not Christ-like behavior. You know, if I'd heard something bad happen to them, I might just chuckle a little bit. Go, well, you know, they got what's coming to them. You know, that's, you can know. I, I guess that's a good, like, litmus test for how much you've forgiven somebody is if you, if you still have those kinds of thoughts about them. we got to go back to the prayer thing. The prayer thing is really about changing us, amen? All right, got to remember that forgiveness is a process. It's a process, and this might be something you've got to do 70 times, seven times. I think I've heard that someplace. Oh, look at that. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. And Peter asked him, he says, how often should we forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And we could think of that as 70 times seven different offenses, or we could think about it as I might have to forgive Daniel 70 times, seven times for being that much better than me leading worship. It's going to be a process. i got to go to Jesus in prayer over. I might wake up tomorrow still mad and go, whew, I guess I better do that again. It's okay, and you need to be patient with yourself in this process. It might take some time. Don't beat yourself up, but you know what? Commit yourself, dedicate yourself to the process of waking up every day and, and praying for that person and, and, and wishing for them to do well and to prosper. And all of a sudden, man, your outlook starts to shift. And there'll be a day when you just don't think about it anymore. It just, it just won't be a deal. We're going to close with this one. Understand that very often people simply know not what they're doing. There are people in your life who have hurt you who just really are unaware the degree to which they've hurt you, the ways in which they've hurt you, right? I mean, if Jesus can say about the Roman soldiers and about the, the Jewish community that turned on him and about all these things, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. As they have the hammers in their hand, you could say, yeah, of course they knew what they were doing. Yeah, but did they really? 
I mean, did they really know what they were doing? Did they understand on a deeper level what was happening? Or were they just doing the best they knew how to do with the information that they were given? Or the brokenness of their own lives? Sometimes hurt us. Sometimes people hurt us out of a simple area of brokenness in them. That old saying is true that hurt people hurt people, right? And until we can empathize and say, maybe, maybe given the same set of circumstances, I might do a similar thing. I can forgive because they don't exactly know what they're doing. Amen? All right. Bottom line is this. Living a life with Jesus means that we are living a life of radical forgiveness. This is what's going to set us apart. It's what's going to take us to the next level. It's what's going to take us to a place where people look at us and go, what a peculiar bunch of people. Not weird tinfoil hat wearing, not that. But peculiar people who, who look at a situation that would hurt and they don't hold on to it and they forgive and they move on. This is what sets the Christ follower apart. It's what we've called to be radical forgivers. Amen? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.